0: welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway. This is a live edition of the Jake Feinberg Show, comedy on Power Talk. Thank you so much for making us part of your day today, and happy Veterans Day to everybody out there. And a lot of times uh, we can look at veterans and automatically go towards the military, and, uh, and that's okay. They deserve to be, um, you know, they keep us safe, but at the same time... Uh, So much in monotheistic religion revolves around um, the idea of thou shalt not kill. And then um, when they're 18, they get a gun strapped on them and then they're taught how to kill. And so I'd like to honor uh, all musical warriors today that have uh, that are present and that have fallen, uh, including uh, the late, great. Uh, Neil Casal, um, who is um, you know a guy I didn't really know very well at all um, and uh, a lot of people think that you know um, you know that we had some sort of you know deep connection but the truth of the matter was uh, Neil and I connected on one level it was authentic spirit and uh, most importantly understanding that uh, there's only two letters that separate magic and music and so, you know, it was a, it was a bond of, of mutual respect and uh, got a chance today to speak to somebody who has been cultivating um, the, the music scene uh, and uh, is trying to promote uh, holistic spiritual music in a time uh, of coronavirus when, uh, in fact, um, in many ways, uh, the ability to come together And experience spiritual communal music uh, is, uh, you know, quite possibly the last thing that will come back uh, in our society. uh, And that is only based on whether we can actually have some uh, functional uh, behavior at the national level. Uh, That being said, uh, my guest has always been rooting for the underdog. Um, We are mutual friends with uh, so many really beautiful creatives. And people that we should all be aware of in this time, um, like Neil, can get into very dark places. And it's important that, um, on my show, that, uh, that I continue to look towards the light and bring on guests like my uh, co- guests coming up that can inspire others to be themselves. Vito Ronaldo, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you so much, Jake.
1: It's a pleasure to be
0: here. It's an honor, man. When did you, why did you have, why have you always been pulling for the underdog and, and poured your
1: livelihood and life into it? Well, I actually spent 37 years of my life as a teacher in a uh, program that served students with special needs and uh, particularly the vocational program where we tried to help them identify an area that they could go on and be successful in, uh, with their livelihood. Uh, and I retired 10 years ago. And I've always been a music lover uh, from my early youth back in the 60s and a musician, uh, professional, I guess, because I got paid. I guess I'd say I was professional. Uh, but uh, really yearned to get back into the music scene after I retired and certainly did as a audience member. But uh, when the coronavirus hit, I came up with this idea, and part of it stems back to my having met Neil uh, a number of times, briefly, uh, after shows no more than a, hey, great show, how are you? Glad you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then a an extended meeting with him out in uh, Crested Butte, Colorado, after a, a pair of CRB shows where uh, we spent close to an hour, talking because I brought him uh, a shirt that I had made for him with uh, the patent diagrams of the Fender B-Bender guitar <laughs> that Clarence White and uh, wow. uh, another fellow from the Birds, um, Cla- one of the Clarks. Gene it? Clark, maybe. Gene Clark yeah. had invented in his, work, his garage workshop. And so I had become fascinated with the way Neil played the B-Bender, just loved the sound that he got out of it, and uh, so I had this shirt made up for him, and we spent an hour talking the engineering of the guitar music in general, you know, let me hold it, and try to play it, I don't play guitar, and just uh, had a great time, and and then also actually turned me on to his buddy John Lee Shannon, who he had been working with to produce a record, which John released, and and, Nat, and as you know very well from having spoken with Neil, he was always so modest and humble. And, you know, and I told him how much I loved the way he played it. And he said, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. He said, But if you want to see a guy who knows how to play it, check out this John Lee Shannon. And we proceeded to contact John from Colorado. And Neil wanted me to get another shirt made for John. Because he said, He's the one who needs a shirt like this, he knows what he's doing. And I said, What size is he? Oh, he's a medium. I just happened to have another shirt made in a medium. So I wasn't <laughs> sure what size Neil was. So I got a large and a medium and uh, sent out a medium to John a day or so later. And then he and I have become friends. Uh, so then, you know, every time I went to another show, either a CATS show or a CRB show, and, I saw, and Neil saw me, because I would usually be pretty close to the stage, close to so I could get, right between Neil and Adam. And uh, he would always, like, fist bump me, and he started to call me Clarence. <laughs> right. I love it. I mean, the guy
0: was, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I I, I can honestly say, uh, I just want you to step back for a minute and talk about, you know, so you, you help find job placements for kids with exceptional needs, some of them very high functioning with BOCES. I'm a Long Island cat, so I'm very familiar with both season. I just – can, can, you, can you talk a little bit about the – I want to make the, this come out. I, I mean, musicians, we're all sort of on the spectrum, right? I mean, we're all sort of on that um, OCD, manic, uh, maybe autistic in some ways. But, you know, in so many ways, I mean, how – I remember uh, – I had, I went to the last domestic CRB shows um, in Riverhead uh, last really? summer and uh, it was Neil and I, we were all going to dinner with Tony and, and Jeff. We sat down and we, we had a great, we had the, really the first kind of like your talk backstage at Crested Butte. It was like the first time we really sat and talked and he was always complaining about his amps and his equipment, you know, and, and I said, well, why don't you know, why don't you just, you know, call up Mike Pascal or someone and get a fat Jimmy Amp or something, you know, and he's like, I can't afford it, you know, I'm broke, and um, whether or not that was true or not, I mean, it seems to me, um, and I just want to ask you, because I think you've been on this planet a little bit longer than myself, I'm only 42, but I just, I wanted you to talk a little bit about um, how the significance of music has changed in our culture, and what I mean by that is, you go back to the, a certain period of time in music and um, it was considered a viable profession. People could get ahead in their lives. There was a lot of jingle and commercial work, studio work. No doubt someone like Neil would have thrived in that setting. Um, and then there was also uh, lots of touring. Uh, uh, there was a record-based industry. And so even sidemen could get ahead. And now you're getting to a point where even before the virus where it was, the policy was, oh, you can play for the door, or you can pay to play. And, you know, it's, it's really important, in, in my mind, to articulate, um, because music is unquantifiable, and we live in a totally data-driven society now. So if you can't quantify something in this society, the bean counters say, well, then it just must not be worth anything. And I really wanted you to talk a little bit about why, how the significance of music has changed in our culture and why musicians should be
1: treated as professionals. Yeah, well, I mean, I grew up in the 60s. You know, I graduated from high school in 1965, college in 69. Oh, that's I was at great. Woodstock. that's great. Uh, I lived through an era where music was not only the spiritual um, – Thing for all of us, but it also became like a, uh, a social movement. I mean, music spoke for my generation, and you know, we're in the midst of the Vietnam War, and I really feel that music was kind of the uh, thing that triggered a lot of people to get involved. And uh, we could certainly use more of that today. But you know, during those days, like you said, people could actually make a living. Um, and musicians will
0: respect it. Th- that's what I'm that's the word I'm looking for. It was it was I mean people were like even Joe Russo told me in our interview last year he said I still think about the fact that you know like those guys in CRB or Cats I mean they were they were cleaning up they 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 had to take down their own rigs after every gig, you know? I mean it's just it, it's it's when you say respect that also means uh like respect as a teacher of special education, putting into a retirement system, getting a living wage um, to I'll me. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like, like, like by the way, George Clinton, when I interviewed him, he uh, P funk, he said, and I think it, the, the only thing he goes, he goes LSD was the catalyst with the music that ended the Vietnam war. Cause you had people sticking flowers and he goes, we'd still be in Vietnam without, without LSD, you know that. So that there was a fusion there Um and we are I just I want when you talk about respect, we're not you know, people aren't like degrading musicians, but I'm just saying it's just even before coronavirus, they were truly part of the working poor and everybody can everybody can, you know, you know, analyze or till the cows come home why Neil did what he did, but I take him at his word that he through it all felt like he was drowning and not really getting ahead. I think he was looking at, yeah, for some people would say, oh man, I want to be right in his shoes. You know, he's got this great career going. I don't know if he really wanted to live out the next 20, 25 years of his career just getting by. Anyway, you you can riff on that any way you want.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right. And uh, I think because there's no steady flow of income from other sources, it pretty much comes from Performing and merch sales, and if you're not, if you don't control the band, if you're not like an egalitarian band where everybody is sharing everything, um, there might not even be much coming from some of that. Exactly. But um, the streaming uh, industry has definitely put a dent in uh, revenue sources for musicians because that's a pittance what they get from that. Right. And, and and so many, as you were saying, live gig to gig. Um, can they make a car payment? Can they pay the rent on their house, which they're not even in because they're traveling so much? Exactly. Uh, so that is how are sp- like- how are they
0: supposed to raise a family? I mean, even jazzers. I mean, even the jazzers from Philadelphia, the, the the cats. I mean, they said it's it's we could raise a family like as a musician. I just wonder in your mind, being that I I I detected that you were, I mean. Yeah, the 60s, in some ways, uh, it was an explosion of youth movement music. But no doubt, the studios were bustling. If you got into them, uh, you could get ahead, make your payment on a on a loft in downtown New York in one week of work. And then you could go out to the clubs and play the music you wanted to play uh, and, and get by. And I just, why do you think... Um, over time, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, and I've vetted them quite a bit. But I'm curious, from your point of view as a fan, a patron, and an advocate, how we've gotten to this point. I'm, and I'm not even talking about coronavirus because everything's just. I mean, again, part of it's like, you know, why did the, why do musicians? Why didn't they get the the unemployment checks, the $600? You know, that's what I'm saying. Like that's a disrespectful. Th- I mean, that to me shows that it's not viewed as a viable profession outside of. Steve Miller journey or all these bands that can sell out rock palaces because they've been
1: regurgitating hits for your generation for 40 years. Right. And then there are some artists that, you know, had really good management and, and agencies that work with them that had bankrolled some money for just this type of thing. Not that they were new Corona was coming. Right. But, uh, you know, the, and they were able to continue to su- support some of the musicians on their rosters, not extravagantly, at least keep them afloat until hopefully everything got back to some version of normal. But for those musicians who were doing their own booking and representing themselves, uh, none of that was available to them. And they really were, you know, living hand to mouth, you know. And uh, and why has it gotten to that point? Gosh, that's a complex question. I know.
0: Sure. No, I mean, listen, I've, I've been... This is what my... I mean, a lot of it obviously is... Uh, just from the studio point of view, sequencers, synthesizers. Once you started to be able to comp different instruments on a synthesizer, it really took away so much work. And then, um, you know, there's just a a multitude of things, but I just, I wonder if it reflects the callousness of the country. I mean, if you, just this country, um, you know, music is, the you know, to me, in a great band like CRB or Cats or all these great jazz collectives from back in the day, it's a conversation. It's the ultimate democracy. You're sharing, you're trading off ideas, you're saying your piece, you're kicking it to somebody else. And hopefully, you know, yeah, maybe there's some arguments, you know, on stage, but, you know, you get through it, you know, you figure it out, and you compromise. And it's just, I just feel, not just because it's so perilous right now on so many political socio-political levels but just uh the vibration is so low that I recognize how, and even more now how important live music is because um it helps raise consciousness so it's a very I guess what I'm trying to get at is just if you could if you had some kind of sway or leverage uh on capitol hill you'll see neil young go up there you'll see neil diamond go up there you'll see phil collins a lot of those guys were were companyists, or before you know they they recognize the value of their bands mm-hmm. and they're fighting for them mm-hmm. but if you you know that, that when you have musicians advocating for musicians it, even no matter how big a name uh it's not you know they need, musicians need more advocates. So if you were on Capitol Hill pushing for uh, an infusion of support for the arts and the creative musicians, what would you tell some of these very narrow-minded politicians uh, that might reorient them about how significant music is
1: to our society? I think, you know, music being one of the arts uh, is – very significant as all art is because it expands our consciousness, it heals us, it, it it's a calming effect in at times when things are not going well. And I think in some countries artists are they're endowed in some way. They are supported regardless of what the economy is doing. They're encouraged to create. You're absolutely right. In this country, it's becomes I think it was always kind of a dog eat dog industry, but there were, you know, places and maybe labels and producers that didn't treat it that way. But now I feel like it's become even more so. And then at this point in time, that's the last thing we need. We need to be going totally the
0: opposite direction. I know. That's what I'm saying. I mean, dude, you're, listen, in, in Europe, even now, um, But I mean, the one reason jazz, a lot of musicians, I don't like, I don't like labels and music, but a lot of musicians moved to Europe, not only because they were recognized for their genius and they were compensated for it, but the government subsidized those clubs. I mean, they recognize that the arts, there's always been patrons of the arts. And I just feel like people will say, oh, well, we're in the middle. There's so many more issues right now. People are are in poverty and you know, there's homelessness and people can't eat. And, and you know, we have the coronavirus, and, and it's like, so then therefore musicians are like just less and less and less of a priority. And it's, I mean, I have no hope with this administration that they would ever, uh, you know, infuse money. And I, so, I mean, it would be, it's a revolution of consciousness that needs to occur. And I believe that, the reason you, you know, you reached out to me, we connected. I mean, this revolution doesn't happen in, you know, it's not a big bang kind of thing. It, 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 yeah. it, it, it goes over time. You build momentum. So you want to talk a little bit about what you and Waldman have been, have been
1: cultivating? Sure. Sure. And, and I just want to say one more thing before we go on. From go ahead, yeah. it, when you talk about the jazzers and that there, this was something that someone brought up to me and I had never even thought about it. Uh, a lot of the old, older jazz musicians, whether it be in New Orleans, New York, wherever they are, Chicago, uh, many of them had somewhat regular gigs at small clubs, not very high-paying, but they would draw an audience, and you know they'd make a few bucks, and they'd get out and play their music for people. And along with maybe making a little money, they also got a meal, Jake. They sat down and had dinner at the club, and then they went out and played. Right. So someone said to me the other day, a lot of these – older gentlemen and ladies relied on that as a source of food for themselves. And when that all went away with this virus, not only are they struggling financially, but many of them have had their food sources cut off. Wow I didn't even think so about they're that. going to you know soup kitchens or whatever or you know uh, food banks and whatnot and they many of them are elderly they probably should not even be going out that much.
0: Um, But but, you know, but, you know, you know, like the music chooses you. Right. So you have no choice. It's like life or death. Right. So you're totally right. I mean, I didn't think about. I mean, all I know is that there was a when you were coming of age uh, in any major urban center uh, prior to white flight, really, um, you know, you had thriving scenes where uh, there was a touring circuit for jazz and guys were coming all through the country all the time. Yeah. And playing for months at a time, I mean, it clearly was you know, and nobody was getting rich, but the cost of living wasn't as high, and therefore, I mean, yeah, five, ten bucks a night, you make sixty, eighty bucks a week, that's not even including studio I mean, if you got in the studios you were totally set. But now you have the, the pen the musician's pension is broke, uh you know, and I was talking with um a dear a dear buddy of mine bass player for a multitude of bands dan horn and he just said that you know dan uh there when when we do come into this uh not uh, yeah new normal right now we're in some bizarro land but when we get to a new normal that there has to be some kind of guild or not really affiliated with the union but there needs to be some more of an advocacy group set up for musicians to advocate at a legislative and political level for rights. And I can't really, you know, I want to be part of it, but the musicians have no ad, the artists don't have any, any art. There are no advocates right now. And it's really, there's no lobbying groups. There's no interest groups, you know, because these people, the truth is this, who are the last, who are the people that hate to promote themselves the most? It's the artists, Right. They're, they're not interested in thumping their chests or advocating, or, you know, you know, it, it's, it's, to me, it's a major crisis. So I, you know, amidst all that, what are you guys doing to at least push back against that, that negative energy and trying to bring some light to the, to the table?
1: Well, it, it, it goes back to, uh, the last time I saw Neil was at Lockin. and, uh, thought that he had, you know, the world in his the palm of his hand because, you know, CRB was over. I know that was traumatic, maybe more so than any of us realize, but Katz, I felt like, was really on the verge of starting to take off and and to see him up on stage with O'Teal and Weir and all those guys with that O'Teal and Friends thing, smiling so wide it looked like his face was going to explode and thinking, wow, he's... Finally, in his element now, he's going to go on do some great things. Wow! Again. and then a wow. day or two later, he was gone. And you know, having met him, and I was at probably the same shows you were those final U.S. shows. Uh, yeah, Baby. On, on the island, I was in Port Washington. Yep, Port Boy, T- No,
0: there was it was it was uh, babies all right. Riverhead. Babies all right and, and, for the release party. I right. was there. And and then Riverhead, and then Port Washington. I I, I did that yeah. that tri that, that was magic, man.
1: Yeah, and, I, and they played up by me here. I live up in Putnam County, and they played up in Dutchess County in Wappingers at a festival. Oh, that's right.
0: Yeah, I didn't make that, but yeah, I remember that too, yeah.
1: Oh, so, yeah, I saw three of those four shows. You also saw three of those four last shows, and then they were off to Europe, and it was over after that. But So when that happened, I was really depressed for like a month. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Well, I you're not you're, I mean
0: I I will say this. I mean, you're not believe me. I mean, I I don't think uh just because I I want to pr- treasure and promote Neil and I wasn't s- like brothers with him the way some people were that like I I didn't get depressed, but I will say that, you know, I, I had people reach out to me that um, you know, were just like friends of his from California not even music related you know he'd go over and they had a family and the kids loved him and they knew it. they were very close with him and they said that you know they were um they were shocked but not surprised yes. because they had seen him in dark spaces and I you know and I, I so I guess what I'm supposed to say after so you were in a in a, in the darkness when was there some kind of moment when maybe his spirit or because he still visits me once in a while. Did, did he, yeah. did he come and say, Hey man, you know, uh, turn that, you know, let's the way you're going to feel better is by, you know, helping promote what I believe, what I believed in. I mean, is there kind of a, a well, definitive moment when you turn the corner?
1: Yeah, it was the show at the Capitol theater when they celebrated his life. Oh yeah. And I got to meet, you know, a bunch of the guys cause the bands that played, all came out and hung out in the audience to watch the other musicians play, and everybody was out there watching the uh, the slideshow of his photos when they played "Exile." Oh yeah. oh yeah, yeah, And "Moonlight Mile" at the end. Uh, so that was a cathartic uh, experience for me. It helped me to begin to move on. And part of it was Jake that I felt like, geez, if I would have known that there was anything I possibly could have done to help out, I would have gladly done it for him and practically any other musician but especially him because he just struck me in such a way he was just such a a special neat cat and uh so that helped but you know I still was sad I wasn't as deeply depressed I guess as I felt for a while and then I kept saying okay I need to do something in my little world to try to prevent this from ever happening again for anybody if I could Right. So I, so my my first solution was I started buying a lot of vinyl and a lot of merch directly <laughs> from artists. Yeah. No. Uh, right on. Because it was you know you know when I go to shows I would do that as well because I figure that's where they you know go to a lot of shows, and uh, just pledge that I would try to do what I could in my own little way to make a difference, and then when the whole COVID thing hit, um, I had this idea that you know everybody's going to be having all their gigs canceled, so what can we do to give people gigs? And so a couple friends, myself, got together. Let's see if we can find somebody who will play for us, and we'll chip in some money and, and pay them, and then we'll tip them as well. And we decided to do that. We did it on Zoom, and it was so it was totally interactive. That was the difference between all these streams and everything where they can't see or hear the audience. Uh, they just they, they hope they're out there. they they see comments maybe and they see a number of people up in the corner that are supposedly watching, but there's no, you know, there's no guarantee that they're going to get any money. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I totally dig it, man. Are you talking talking about,
0: are you talking about the, 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 the one that was hosted by Gary?
1: Well, so we did the one that was hosted by Gary. Yes. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. So we started in May. We did a few shows. Uh, somebody wrote an article about me, and there was a picture of me and Neil in Colorado, me holding the, the B-mentor. And then somebody sent it to Gary, and then he and I connected, and he told me about the Kickstarter campaign that was starting up you know, for the photo book and some other things. And we decided, hey, why don't we do a show on my platform, and we'll promote the Kickstarter. So uh, about, I think, we did it on July 9th, And I think the Kickstarter ended about a week later. And uh, we had a huge number of people there. I mean, we were averaging 30, 40 people coming to our weekly shows, which are every Thursday. And then uh, when we did this, we had like 170 people there, plus probably 30 to 40 guests, artists, speakers. I mean, you saw the show, I guess. Uh, It was pretty crazy, you know. Yeah, Yeah, it was. It was, I mean, it
0: was... uh... It was a who's who of, of uh, but yeah, it was interactive, which was cool because I know, uh, you know, just just performing solo is uh, is hard. I mean, so so so, yeah. Continue on.
1: Yeah, so we did that back in July, and we raised about twenty eight hundred dollars for the foundation, and uh, and also you know, promoted the whole Kickstarter thing, which you know generated a lot more people contributing through Kickstarter and buying you know, different merch and things like that that were coming out through the foundation. So that was a big success. And Gary and I, you know, said, hey, we should do this again someday. It was really great. And uh, we went on, carried about our business, having our shows every Thursday uh, with many different bands. And then uh, met Brent, Rademacher. Uh, oh, I mean, a dear, a dear friend. I love that. Oh, yeah, I love the man, And he, we become very good friends. Yeah. Uh, same thing. I mean, we booked a band called Pacific Range, Dude, dude, Sheamus is. A, I love Seamus, man. <laughs> Those guys are phenomenal. Oh,
0: I love. It. Phenomenal.
1: I just love it. Yeah. So they played for us twice now, and Brent and I became fast and furious friends. And uh, probably the first time we talked, we spent probably an hour talking about Neil, and uh, and uh, so the, 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 it's like this ripple effect. There's all these people I'm meeting and working with that somehow well, many of them have a connection back to Neil. And uh, it feels magical. It feels cosmic. Uh, I don't understand it, but it's, it's yeah, okay. And, 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 and
0: that's not – and that's the thing is um, – so, yeah, for me, 10 years on the radio, um, 2,000 interviews with people that were creating on the bandstand long before Neil was born or myself or anybody else. But, you know, my first book was – I was putting it together – um, uh, I guess last year uh, it was a compilation of Studio Cats and people I called wizards like uh, Larry Coryell and Billy Cobb and people that have expanded vo- vocabulary and music and I was looking at the manuscript and I was like you know I got all gray beards in this like I don't have any of my peers and, and Neil was 10 years older than me but I I reached out to him I said hey man you know I got uh, you know we got the two great radio interviews I said I'm, I've transcribed them here you know here's the the excerpts I want to use if you're cool with it I'd love you to be in my first book you know and he's like oh stoked man this is great and so he couldn't yeah. figure out how to he couldn't figure out how to uh, um, uh, e-, 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 e file the the waiver f- release uh, so oh. he, he had a snail mail it to me and I'm and I get this this letter in the mail from Neil and uh, it just says uh, his address, um, and his street doesn't give a city, but I'm just looking at it and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And then ten days later, he's gone. Yeah. So the whole book was, you know, and and so I can't and and even now, uh, I'll be doing interviews with not even musicians, just uh, promoters or you know, and and you know, one woman in particular, she just said, oh my god, you know, we were talking about Neil, and she's on on a farm in Tennessee, and she looks out and. Out in the sky, in the clouds, a heart is forming. So, I mean, this is a very, uh, I just think you have to follow the muse. Uh, I think ultimately what, you know, you take it for granted, but you think back to how down you were at that time when it first happened and where you are today, and that has to do with the work and a lot of the sweat equity and just the creativity that you've poured into it. So I got to tip my cap to you for that.
1: I mean, our model is pretty simple. We um, charge at the door uh, a very minimal amount. We actually do run a little VIP meet and greet session in the beginning. And uh, we take a small portion of the door to cover some of our expenses because we borrowed money from people to form an LLC and do some legal things. Uh, But the rest of it goes to the artists and all the tips go to the artists. And at this point, We just had our 24th show last week. Number 25 is coming up. Celebrated our six-month anniversary. We've raised over $25,000 to four musicians that went directly to them and also went to um, organizations that support musicians like Music Cares and Backline. And uh, we want to continue to do that at at, at an increasingly high level. Um, But we've pretty much done what we set out to do is – which was to help musicians pay their bills and to keep going during this time when there's really no place to play. And uh, the interactive nature of it has been one of the biggest thrills for me to see because I figured, oh, the audience is going to love this. The artists love it as much or not more because they they when they hear that applause after the first song, after playing streams with no feedback – their eyes like light up, and they go, "Boy, have I missed that!" <laughs> you know, and uh, so I, I just want—I want
0: to make sure that I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm understanding. This is still virtual, but there's an, a virtual audience, and there's the ability for the band to hear the resonance yeah. following the to- the tune they play. Is that yeah. I, is that right? Absolutely. Yes. Oh, that's we, awesome! It's very cool. Yeah.
1: We have a crew that monitors microphones, so that people don't come off mute. Uh, during the call <laughs> I love this man yeah it's so cool I mean it's 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 really
0: can you talk about uh to I would assume there have to be some uh there has to be investment continued inve- how uh what are the things that you need uh people to you know people want people have money but they want to know what it's going towards what what are the things that you want to
1: moving forward that you need to raise capital for well I think the main thing is that we want to be to have more reserves uh, to support the shows with uh, promotions. Um, we've just started to spend some money. We've paid some of our bills. We've started to invest some money into different ways to boost the show's visibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, paid ads through things like Facebook and, and Instagram, and we're still learning how to do that, and we've had some really wonderful people who know this field give us advice about how to go about doing it. So we're trying to pump the money back in. We also um, purchase merchandise from bands and then give it away at the shows uh, through raffles and I things love like this. that. Yeah.
0: Uh, oh, we this
1: we purchase uh, like we sent uh, drum heads out to bands and had all the guys in the band sign it and send it back and then we raffle it off. Uh, some shows I think we've spent considerably more than we've taken in that's okay. Where the, the thing about well, I mean, you have or, to, you
0: have to invest. Before, I mean, whatever, This is like a. I mean, there is no roadmap for this either. I, you okay. know, I mean, every you know. I, so and of course, you're going to spend uh, up front. You're going to spend more. I just I want to know that people that are going to hear this, um, even now. I think that 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 exposure that you're talking about is key because I don't even know that a lot of CR like huge CRB freaks and just freaks, music freaks, are even aware that this is going on.
1: Well, we do publicize what we're doing in a lot of the CRB Facebook groups mm-hmm. and the Cats Facebook groups, and quite a few of them attend different shows, and certainly we had a big turnout for the benefit we did back in July. Um, we you know, do everything we can to reach out to people, but then we also ask the bands or the artists that are performing to do the same through their mailing lists and the people that they know out there that follow them because – you know, we're building our audience. We have, you know, well over 800 people in the Facebook group and about 750 people on our mailing list, but there's a ton of people out there that, you know, we'd like to continue to reach and keep expanding our audience, because that's where you know, the, the artists will do better. And we have about nine people that work with me on this. I'm the only one that's retired, so the rest of the people all have real jobs. And, no, uh, I mean, you, 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 you
0: retired from, you, you, you've done your job, dude. Yeah.
1: So this is my full-time job now, and these other folks and myself, no one receives any compensation in any form for what we do. It's all labor of love. Uh, Pretty much the people that I work with all even buy tickets to the show as their way of contributing financially, as well as their energy and efforts. So. that's how our money comes in, and we basically pass it all back on, except for a little bit for some of these expenses we were just talking about, to the artist. Along with all the tips, go directly to the artist. And you uh, can say we've, you know, done pretty well for 25 shows over $25,000. You know, that's an average of about $1,000 a night for folks who are sometimes performing from their living rooms, uh, sometimes from venues, sometimes from rehearsal spaces, or even recording studios, and uh, We just have spent some time meeting with artists in the last couple of weeks. We're now booked through the end of March, 2021. It blows my mind. Well,
0: I mean, it's, (laughs) it it, it is, I mean, it's mind blowing in the sense of that it's, that it's moving forward and, and growing it's, but it's so um, it it is the missing link, so to speak, because so many of these, I mean, I was just talking to a, a musician before you and, You know, a lot of people, for the very reason, you know, the the isolation of Zoom and the sort of, you know, you you finish a song and in the African tradition, there's no applause because there's no audience. Um, You know, they don't know exactly who's tuning in and it's a little bit anonymous and sometimes they can get into a groove, but they don't know. So um, I I also am curious about, I mean, our mutual friends um, extend beyond just the... um, the Gary Waldman um, roster or the Royal Potato Family with Calibro. um, But how do – how um, wide a um, range – how do you decide which bands – like with Rademacher, Pacific Range is on curation. So that was – I understand that. But is it a little bit kind of almost uh, random in your choosing? Or how do you – uh, because we know that there's a crisis across the entire country as it
1: relates to creatives and and, and their music. Right. Well, we've started uh, back in the early days after we had a couple of successful shows and some people who are more business-oriented than me advised me, you need to form an LLC because you can't just do this out of your own personal accounts. So you can get yourself in trouble like that. Yeah. So we did all that, and then we started to recruit. We said, well, let's, who do we like that we think might want to play? And a a group of us started coming up with names and either emailed them or sent, you know, a letter to them, uh, just trying to recruit them to come and play. And it became this ripple effect. Like once we got one person to play, uh, they would tell some of their, one musician, they would tell other musician friends. Right. And so we've had that. We've had agents and managers that we've worked with that We've had a great experience together, and then they'll say, "I think they have somebody else that would be a great fit for your club." Like speaking of Kevin Calibro, we were just talking earlier today. Leslie Mendelson is playing for us uh, on December 10th, oh, and no. Kevin had told me a couple weeks ago he said, "I got this guy Seth Walker; he would be perfect for your club." So knows. I, I
0: interviewed Seth. He's he yeah, he is right up right in the wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we're. We have a date penciled in in April for Seth. We just have to meet and and, and talk about it. So it's it's kind of a, a process where we connect with these folks every which way you can think of. We have a meeting, and we decide if it's a good marriage because you know some folks aren't comfortable doing it the way that we do it. Yeah. Um, but I think once they hear what we do and they go and they look, we have like a YouTube channel with all of our shows available, and they look at the range of artists – from singer-songwriters to full bands. They see we're, we can pull anything off, as long as they have what they need at their end, in terms of the proper equipment, technically, uh, to give us a good signal and a good internet connection, obviously. And then the interactivity is a huge selling point, because when they see some of these shows, and they see that the artist can actually see the audience in the gallery view of Zoom in between songs, and then hear them clapping, Like I said the reaction the facial reaction On the artist's face the first time it happens Is is priceless And uh so That it all it kind of sells Itself yeah no I mean it's 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 it's, I mean I can't Wait
0: well yeah I Just I I was gonna say a year from now I mean I just don't I just don't see a new Normal coming back In the way that we take in Spiritual music for a while Unfortunately and um you know, I, <laughs> I want you to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the way you feel about music. Like, basically, I know you're not a, you know, you're cultivating this. You're not a musician. But I I know that musicians, uh, including Neely, uh, are incredibly good at uh, disguising um, their, the darkness. And, you know, aside from... These productions Um I just want you to uh, To talk to cats out there Who are You know Basically because Either they Never saw this Potentially Being Ever happening Or Music is the Really their only They don't have Kids They don't have family they, they, They're just it. It's very I mean that's what Neely told me You know We're, we're very uh, Tunnel visioned About this stuff Um can you just talk about like to them about through your experiences working with cats and boses and working with families and then, you know, just sort of just the idea of surrendering to what you're feeling and, and, and the help that they can get and, and, and how they should
1: not feel shame for that. Absolutely. We've actually done, in addition to working with Gary, we've done a couple of, uh benefit shows on the side, and they've all been for organizations that uh, provide mental health services uh, to the general population as well as you know, people that help musicians. And I think we've had some pretty deep moments on some of the shows where the audience doesn't just clap, they sometimes get in a conversation with the artist between songs right. during the meet and greet part. And a lot of it does not revolve around uh, what's your favorite food or or his favorite song. It's about how are you coping during this time? Are you finding it difficult to write as a musician and the candidness with which some of the musicians have spoken and then some of our audience members have spoken back about their own emotional difficulty during this time <laughs> yeah, has been really a revelation and, and I guess the thing that's come out of it at the end of everything is you're not alone. You might feel like you're alone. You aren't alone. There there are people out there feeling the same thing you are or something very similar and there's help to be had. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, we just have to support each other to get through this together. That's the only way we're going to get through it is together. And uh, that has really touched me. And uh, just some of the some of the folks have been Very candid about some difficulties they've been having or they had in the past and how this has brought it back to the surface for sure. Um, And so I think we talked earlier about, you know, spiritual. I mean, this is food for the soul, what we're doing. Absolutely. It's it's food for the audience's soul, food for the musician's soul. And, And believe me, when people say, oh, this is so wonderful what you're doing for us, I tell them, you have no idea. I'm getting so much more out of this than you are. I have like I am like, I'm on cloud nine this well, is I mean you know guy. it's
0: uh no it's true i mean the uh my second book part of it is about the merry pranksters the ones i've the, I've interviewed all oh, the sure. remaining ones and, and and Ken Babs said to me actually they're the, they're a great uh candidate for a, a- potential uh concert by the way, they are classic uh if you're interested in connecting with them, but Babs told me he goes Ken Kesey. He's always said he goes spirit is the only currency that counts, and I always thought that through and through that that like I said that's ultimately why I mean I could go to a cat show at the Terragram Ballroom and the guys come out on stage and you know the, the, you see them you know Neil's a little bit apprehensive and pretty soon I'm ha- I'm having out of body experiences. Just screaming at the top of my lungs, and all of a sudden the entire band is out of their original mindset and they're off to the moon, and yeah. it's the most and that's that's music like like it's not a formula trip it's magic so, um you know Vito uh it, it it just I just wanted you to also give a shout out and talk a little bit about the stewardship of uh of Gary Waldman you know I mean this is you want to talk about somebody who I mean he lost I lost my best friend to COVID. Um and he was a tour de force. Uh Sorry. he was a brilliant cat. He had was totally healthy. So, you know, I know what it feels like, but you know, in with Neely, he touched so many people. Um but Gary was his best friend. How is yeah. Gary doing and what is you know, how Herculean an effort is has he done to to help cultivate
1: the this project? Well, I think this has been a godsend to him, too, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, helping him do some, turn this into something positive. Uh, right. As much as he misses Neil, I think he's doing great work in his name and helping many other musicians and carrying on Neil's legacy, getting people to hear a lot of music that has been out of print for a long time. Everything's going to eventually be coming out in vinyl, and uh, I can't wait to hear it. In the original form. And he is working tirelessly to support, you know, well, the initial support of the foundation is to provide musical instruments and uh, lessons for students in the public schools in the New York, New Jersey area. But then, certainly, a lot of it is to support things like music cares and backline. And uh, I, I just think this is giving him a new mission in life. Uh, to carry on Neil's legacy and to help other people to, and help people like Neil who might need uh, a helping hand in whatever area they need it, whether it's, you know, mental health support or financial support, whatever it is, just to get us through these times so that we don't lose any more people like Neil. We can't afford to lose these guys. Well,
0: Vito, I, that's why I continue to do my show. And you know, I try to continue to bring on cast like yourself and all the, the people that you know that um i agree i i feel like um my whole job is to take people out of their original mindset inspire them and make them feel happy and um even yeah. if i do that to one or two people and it and 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 it and it prevents them from doing something drastic or just you know checking out i mean i i've had other creative friends here who were not um didn't have the virus, but because they just saw their livelihood shrinking up, they checked out, and I don't want that to happen. So, save here, That's you know. Definitely. So I mean, I, you know, let's stay in touch, man. I really, I, I applaud you guys for for the effort and anything I can do to help along the way. Just let well, me know.
1: I would like to, you know, just mention the benefit show we have coming up in a couple of weeks. Go ahead. Uh, on Saturday, December fifth, we're going to have another. It's gonna we're calling it the first annual. Neil Casale Music Foundation Benefit. And it's going to be loaded with guests, uh, music. Some really, really special things are going to occur uh, right there on the spot that people are going to want to see. Um, It's going to be a couple of world premieres of videos of unreleased songs by Neil that no one has heard. Wow. Um, Gary is bringing on... The usual suspects uh, and some additional ones. Uh, Let's get. I I just want. I
0: just want to make sure that Zeph and I O'Hara will be there.
1: I don't know if Zeph.
0: I need Zeph. I need
1: Zeph. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's
0: fine. It's.
1: No, we want Zeph to come and play at our club and do a full show. Uh, Dude, he's the man. I'm sure if Zeph's coming on, I know Kenny is going to be on. I love Kenny too, yeah. And uh, schools will be on,
0: and. Uh, my understanding is that we're going to... Can we get... Maybe maybe Farmer and and, and, and Farmer, Farmer Dave? I mean, Farmer just... Dave? Uh, I, I don't
1: have him on my list yet, but certain... <laughs> right. we yeah. are so... Neil touched so many people. Yeah, we know. could do one of these every week and have a different... Well, you,
0: you, let me just give you an idea. I, I'm telling you, you should do an East Coast and a West Coast <laughs> one, all right? You know, like that...
1: they did with the celebration.
0: Well, no, because I, w- I got to tell you, I saw the, the East Coast one. I obviously couldn't travel out from Tucson, but I went to the one that Rachel Dean put on at the yeah. Regent, And it was freaking, um, I mean, it was tragic, but it was so awesome. Yes. And it was beautiful. Okay.
1: So I watched the replay of that, you know, and a lot of those cats were here on the East coast as well. Some, some weren't,
0: were, some weren't like, though. I mean, it was, it was quite an interesting bat. It was just, freak, it was, it was, I'm just glad that I'm able to document this stuff. I'm able to, um, carry it on. And I think more than anything else, just, uh, When we come out on the other side, you know, help be that bridge um, because it is going to just because things come back to normal, there's going to be a huge realignment and adjustment period for nothing will be the same, you know, again. So,
1: well, we we hope that folks who are listening to the show will join us on the 5th. Uh, They can get information at our website, tofproductions.com. There's... Links there that'll take you to the Eventbrite page where you can purchase a ticket for the benefit show, and donations will also be able to be made through a special link on Eventbrite. And during that night, we're going to be, uh, like I said, I, I'm not totally free to say everything though, but when I when I went over it with Gary this morning, and he told me some of the things that were going to happen. Uh, I'd be happy to talk to you privately. I don't know if I can go on
0: the record with some No, of don't, don't worry about it. It's okay. Listen, I'll tell you what. I I I, I just, I'll say this much. For, for those that are not tuning in live, I'll put this up on my podcast later, and you can feel free to blast this out and share it so that people can get more information about it as well. I look forward to it. I don't, I I I like to be surprised, and I'm sure that there's some heavy stuff going on and people like that, so... Uh, I, I commend, I, I, uh, I love what you're doing, man. And, uh, yeah, let's just stay in touch. Yeah.
1: Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate Jake. I've loved your work for years now. And I, uh, appreciate all the support that you are giving to people in the music world. I like, like, I mean,
0: like I, I will just borrow your phrase. I mean, for the last, especially when I, thanks to Kevin Calibro connecting with my peers, um, uh, my peer group of musicians, uh, I'm just getting so much more out of it than anybody could ever possibly. I mean, this is my purpose, and uh, and I'm proud to do it. So, carry on, my friend. Same to you, my buddy. Cheers, bro. Bye, bye, now. Later, man. Uh, Inspiration moved me brightly. Thank you, Vito Ronaldo. We'll be back with Carla Warner right after this.